Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. On today's mini-sode, we are going to be talking about uh, the tricks of the trade, how people attempt to interact with open theists, their their strategies. They're, they're getting lost in hypotheticals and not wanting to deal with reality. Oh, I, I, I love it. I love it because it's so easy to get these people flustered. They don't want to answer questions. They just want to ask questions. And they don't want to think about their views with any consistency. And so this is this is a pretty good example of it. This guy says here, he's in some sort of uh, Arminian Calvinist website here. A genuine question to all open theists out there. Could Jesus have been wrong when he told Peter, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Was Jesus guessing or taking a risk by making such a truly definite claim? And for the non-open theist Arminians, could Peter have done otherwise? Was Peter's denial certain to happen? Now, the best strategy for dealing with this is how Will Duffy handles this situation. So they're lost in the world of hypotheticals. They're looking for a got you. You bring them back down to reality. If you can find somewhere in the Bible where something very similar does happen and ha happens contrary to what the question answer assumes can happen, it forces them to confront uh, two conflicting beliefs in their worldview. Number one, their belief in this situation in which there's a future prophecy of something that will happen versus what actually happens. And it forces them to draw parallels to this. So, if, for example, when I was dealing with Brother Mike in a different uh, podcast, I was in a conversation with him. He said, how does God know things? I said, well, how do I know things? I need him to think about it and give me a rational answer, a standard, which applies to my knowledge, which then I could turn around and apply to how God knows future things. So if I can know future things, uh, then that same mechanism that, this brother, Mike, in my example, that uh, he proposes for my knowledge of future things, I can propose to God and he can't just deny it because he's already affirmed the standard of knowledge, that it is knowledge, and that people can have knowledge of future events through that mechanism. And so these people don't want to answer if you turn back to that interaction. That brother, Mike, he never answered me how I can know things about the future. And typically these individuals, they want their philosophical definitions of knowledge. And so they'll deny that human beings can know things about the future, which uh, if, if that's your position, go for it. But uh, it's not my position. Uh, human beings can know things about the future. But back to this example, he says, how can Jesus say that Peter will deny him three times? Will Duffy responds, you mean wrong? Because he says like uh, Jesus would be wrong if uh, Peter didn't deny Jesus three times. And Will Duffy says, you mean wrong, like God telling Nineveh that they would be destroyed in 40 days. So this is a concrete example of God saying something will happen and that thing did not happen. So this individual who's asking this question, he's looking for a gotcha. He has to confront his own beliefs, not only that this event happened, but uh, the explanation for this event then can't be applied to his current Peter instance if he wants a gotcha. But he's forced to confront these two conflicting views in his mind. His gotcha falls flat because in all reality, 
In all reality, Jesus says to Peter, you will deny me three times. Peter repents and turns to God. And let's pretend all that's recorded in the Bible. What would happen? Uh, these people, these same people who are so def definitive on wanting this as a proof text for their belief, it's a gotcha if this thing doesn't come true. Those exact same people would treat this just like the Nineveh situation. And they, they would say, well, it's a unwritten conditional. And it was a warning. And uh, Peter... He, he heeded the warning and he changed his activities. But since it did occur, then all of a sudden in their mind, this is a definite event that must happen. And any deviation from this event happening apparently means that God is wrong about the future. Right? So they have no consistent standards. Their, their standards are completely arbitrary. And how you trip them up is by pointing out parallel examples and asking them a question back. Basically what you're doing is you're establishing standards. And those standards are going to be consistent between examples. And notice, let's 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 take a look at this this individual up here. Does he answer? Does he interact? I'm looking through here. Will Duffy's first interaction is with a second person. He says all prophecy is conditional including this one with Peter, how do you get around God blatantly lying to Nineveh? For the record, I don't believe he lied. It's only a lie if God knew he wasn't going to do what he said he was going to do. That is a lie, a statement with intent to deceive. And people are, are always like, well, God said that so that they would repent. Yeah, he just, he just lied to them to manipulate them into an action. That's literally the classical belief on this position. God is lying to people to manipulate them into action. Fantastic. If that's your belief, uh, that's what you think the author is going for in this text. More power to you. More power to you. Um, not my take on this. And in fact, my take is that, as Will Duffy states, all prophecy is conditional. God's not lying. And God really intended to destroy Nineveh, but he changed his mind based on the conditions, based on changing circumstances. Exactly what God describes in Jeremiah 18, where God doesn't do what God said God would do, where God doesn't do what God thought God would do, due to changing circumstances. This is a very important point. God will change based on circumstances. This is an established rule method, mode of operation that should be common sense to all of us. It just doesn't work in the classical sense in which God knows all things future. So we go to this guy's response. Ah, you bring up a good point, Will. Let's look at the entire book of Jonah. Okay, is that going to is that going to tell us that these two different statements are completely different and should be taken in a different light? Or is it going to be kind of a special pleading thing? God told Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Uh-oh, God's hearing things, God's experiencing things in real time. Uh-oh, that's all he says. God makes no definite plan or action against Nineveh. What? We Then we see Jonah rebelling and going to Tarshish. Oh, yeah, so God's not determining all things. People can try to thwart God's will. And how does God get him back? He, he courses him. He uses physical force to do that. Let's see. Let's read on. Then we see Jonah rebelling. We know a storm comes. He gets eaten by the fish. He gets spit out. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. We don't see God making any definite plans against Nineveh. So did did Jonah not say what God told him to say? Jonah finally obeys and began to go into the city, going a day's journey. 
and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Here we finally see a definite plan of action against Nineveh, but it doesn't come from the mouth of God. It's from Jonah. It's not clear whether God told him to say exactly 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But let's say God did tell Jonah because Jonah 3.10 tells us that when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them and he did not do it. So God said to Nineveh he's going to do something and then doesn't do what God said he was going to do. Remember what Jonah then tells God after Nineveh repents. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my own country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in all steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Is this going to be showing us some sort of difference between these two verses? Uh, suddenly, apparently, in the instance with Peter, God's not loving and filled with mercy and repentance. Huh? This was all in God's mind and plan from the beginning. God knew Nineveh would repent. Really? Where, where did you get that in the text? Just because God makes a definite claim that doesn't refute that God intended to change the course of history the way he wants it. So he's just providing his own narrative on top of this. Um, did he prove that Will Duffy is uh, treating these verses out of context, anything like that. Did he prove that this event with Peter is different than the event with Jonah? Uh, did Will Duffy, what is, what is Will Duffy proving? It's proving that they have no consistent standards. They really want their verse to be their proof text, their gotcha, and they're not going to apply a consistent standard to other very similar verses. They're not going to give us distinguishing reasons why one's a definite prophecy and one is conditional. And then they're going to claim that the conditional one was God's plan all along, in spite, in spite of God's stated words. The things God said he would do, he did not do it, he repented. So let's take the Peter example. Uh, God, Jesus says to Peter, he says, uh, you're going to deny me three times. You will deny me three times. Remember, uh, Nineveh will be overthrown in 40 days. And then Peter says, oh no, Oh, I better repent. And he repents. Again, what happens in heaven? Do the angels rejoice? Does does God rejoice after that one lost sheep? Or do they all go into convulsions like, oh no, our, our prophecy was overthrown. The world's coming to end. God's been thwarted. No, no, no. What's most likely to happen in heaven is a celebration. You're going to celebrate the lost sheep returning. And it's not going to be a failed prophecy because conditions changed. The lost sheep came back. This is an exciting, exciting thing. People get excited over this because it's not eternally predestined. That's not very exciting. That's just like, oh, the movie is playing out as planned, as predicted. Celebration over the lost sheep is most likely what's going to happen rather than uh, the convulsive fits. But this guy doesn't show that any reason why he's treating these two verses entirely differently, except ex post facto based on whether or not he knows in advance whether they come true or not. That's his only standard. He's got no standards. This is not biblical scholarship. This is grasping at straws. It's showing you that these people don't care about the Bible. They don't care about any consistency. They are just looking for gotchas. They don't care about real theology.
my my addition to this conversation, which is goes completely ignored by the original poster, is this. Can we all agree that if Peter didn't deny Jesus when tempted, that everyone would say it was a test just like Nineveh? Of course, do you think uh, the main poster guy, do you think he answered me? No. Crickets. Crickets. Cricket. Cricket. No one wants to answer any questions. No one cares about consistency. They just want gotchas. They don't want to think intellectually about their own positions. They don't want to set down standards, which then could be used to undermine their own gotcha points. And so you're dealing with a fanatic. You're not dealing with someone who's who cares about intellectual integrity, intellectual honesty. They just want their talking points. Anyways, questions, comments, put that uh, down below. Start a thread on God is open. Thank you for listening.